بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so this is the last session in the series on the methodology of the salaf or of the quran in establishing the tawhid of allah azza wa jal and looking in particular at the arguments of reason which the Quran contains in order to establish his existence then his rububiyyah then his asma'i wa sifat his perfection in that regard and then his uluhiyyah so in the previous lesson the fifth lesson we looked at the evidences for the perfection of Allah his kamal his perfection and that he is free and innocent of imperfection which is the tanzih of Allah from imperfections and we looked at the way the Quran establishes this uh, by way of arguments of reason through the use of first of all arguing by Allah's actions the perfection in his actions that we witness around us uh, the perfection in terms of uh, illustrated by way of qiyas analogy we established al-qiyas al-awla which is the method of analogy used in the Quran we give examples of that a number of examples and also from the angle of looking at the effect of Allah's actions upon his creation and also looking at the attributes of perfection that he possesses which imply the negation of imperfection so we looked at all this in some detail in the previous lesson you can refer back to the recording of that and also how allah declares himself from imperfection tanzih and uh, things such as negation of a son and wife negation of him indwelling within the creation negation of him uh, committing zulm against his uh, creatures so all of these things we looked at in detail in the previous lesson and in a nutshell they establish the perfection of allah in his names and his attributes so from that this leads us now to the final part which is how does allah azawajal argue for his uluhiyah and his right to be worshiped and the falsification of the worship of others besides allah through the use of appealing to reason and you will have seen or you will have gathered by now that the arguments which were used to establish allah's rububiyyah and his uluhiyyah that they will be used in the quran to argue and to appeal to a person's reason that only allah azawajal is worthy of being worshiped and so this is generally how the argument uh, we see is uh, structured in the quran So let's begin first of all by making clear what we what we mean by tawhid al-uluhiyah and this is to single out Allah ifradullah 
عز وجل بجميع أنواعها الظاهرة والباطنة to single out Allah with all types of worship whether they are inward they are performed by the heart or whether they are outward whether they are, whether they are observed on the tongue or performed by the limbs and this is something that is requested from the servants of Allah Azza wa Jal. In other words, that we take all of our actions of worship and direct them only to Allah. So some of the examples of worship you know when you are familiar with, uh, as salah the prayer, al-du'a, which is supplication, uh, al-khudu' which is uh, submission and compliance, al-inqiyad, which is compliance, al-khawf, wal-raja, fear, hope, al-mahabba, love, all of these are the well-known actions of worship. And basically we can divide all of these types of worship into four categories. They are those which are al-qawliyyah, perform with the tongue. They are those which are al-qalbiyyah, performed by the heart. They are those which are al-badaniyyah, which are performed by the body. And there are those which are maliyyah, relate to wealth, relate to the wealth that you possess. So worship... All acts of worship, they fall into these four categories. And some of them combine more than one category. So for example, Hajj is something that combines everything. And Salah, prayer, combines a few of those categories. What is internal, what is outward, what is you know, performed by the body, what is performed by, by way of speech. Right? So all acts of worship, they will contain, they will contain any one of these four categories. So the point being that... We want to look at how does Allah argue in the Qur'an in order to establish the tea alone is worthy of worship. And there are two broad ways in the Qur'an. There are basically two broad ways which are, uh, that we find in the Qur'an. First of all, by appealing to Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, which we already established. And directing the servant's attention to the fact that Allah is alone in the qualities of Rububiyyah. Whether that is in relation to He alone being the Creator, Al-Khalq, whether He alone is the owner with Al-Mulk, whether He alone is the one who regulates everything, which is Al-Tadbir, that He is the, 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 the regulator of everything. And likewise, other things which come beneath these, this category of at-tadbir, such as giving life, taking life, bestowing favors, bestowing sustenance, and so on and so forth. So this is one thing that we see the Qur'an is filled with. The Qur'an is filled with either arguing from rububiyyah in general, or arguing by specific instances of rububiyyah. Right? Specific things that Allah points to that you know, uh, that he creates or that he owns or, or that he regulates. So the Qur'an is filled with this type of argument. So that's one way. And the second way is to argue by way of Allah's perfection, that he is unique and perfect in his names and attributes. And this is an absolute perfection. And that because there is no one else who possesses this absolute perfection, al-kamal al-mutlaq, that therefore it does not deserve to be worshipped. 
only the, the owner and the possessor of absolute perfection in all his names and all his attributes, that only he alone is the one worthy of worship. And so this is obviously Tawheed al-Asma'i was-Sifat. And so we see that the argument of the Qur'an then therefore is to argue by way of these two things that we established previously, al-Rububiyyah wal-Asma'i was-Sifat, to indicate that Allah alone is worthy of worship. And so within all of this there are arguments of reason. Arguments of reason, an appeal to the aql for a person to think and reflect. So we're going to start with looking at the first of these two categories, which is how is Tawheed al-Rububiyyah used in the Qur'an in order to direct a person to this truth of uluhiyyah. So we can divide this into, we can divide this into uh, basically two uh, sections. The first is that we find there are general statements, general verses in the Qur'an in which Allah appeals to his Rububiyyah in general. That's one Category of verses, we look at maybe uh, four, four or five examples of this, maybe six or seven examples, perhaps more. And then the second, uh, the second group are those verses which are very specific and refer to a specific aspect of Rububiyya. Right. So we look at all of these illustrations so that the, the, the picture is very clear to us from the Qur'an. So first of all, when we speak of Allah's Rububiyya, we are referring, the scholars have summarized Rububiyyah into three main categories. Number one, that Allah is the creator, that he created everything. Number two, that he is the, the, the owner, the Malik, so he's the Khaliq, and he is the Malik, who is the owner, and that he is the Mudabbir, the thirdly, that he regulates everything. And underneath this third one, At-Tadbir, is all of the actions of Allah Azza wa Jal, such as, creating and providing and uh, giving life and taking life and guiding and misguiding and everything else which comes under this category. So we have Al-Khalq, we have Al-Mulk and we have At-Tadbir. And so these three things, even when we look, at the, as the scholars explain, such as Shaykh Ruthaynin, uh, Rahimullah and many others in the Kitab al-Tawheed, you will see that when you look at the linguistic definition uh, of uh, of uh, a rab, and you'll see that these are the various uh, meanings that come underneath the one who nurtures, the one who owns, the one who is the master, the one who nurtures, and, and so on and so forth. So, let's look at some general verses that speak in a general sense. So, from them is the statement of Allah Azawajal in Surah Al An'am, which is the sixth surah, verse 164. Qul, أَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ أَبْغِي رَبَّا وَهُوَ رَبُّ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ So here now is an argument of reason. Allah Azawajal, he commands the messenger of Allah to say, say, should I seek a, uh, a Lord other than Allah, whilst he is the Rabb of every single thing. So look at the argument now. The argument is, that how should I, why should I seek other than Allah as a Rabb, whilst He is the Rabb of every single thing, right? So only He possesses the quality of Rububiyyah. So how and why should I be seeking a Rabb besides Him? Because there is no Rabb besides Allah. This is a general verse. It is not appealing to any specific 
aspect of rububiyyah, but of rububiyyah as a whole in general. And there are many verses in the Quran which are like this. So this is uh, one ayah. Another ayah is the statement of Allah Azawajal, وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ فَاعْبُدُونَ وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ فَاعْبُدُونَ So he now is the argument. I am your Lord, therefore worship me alone. This is Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah 21, verse number 92. So here we see the connection now between Rububiyyah and Uluhiyyah, and Ibadah, Tawheed Al-Ibadah. I am your Lord, and Lord meaning here Rabb with all of its meanings that we covered previously. So therefore, fa'abudun, the use of the letter fa, which is a consequence, therefore worship me alone. Another very general uh, example. A third example, a well-known example, uh, is the statement at the, towards the end of Surah Maryam, Rabbu samawati wal ard, وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فَاعْبُدُهُ وَاسْتَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ Surah Maryam, Surah 19, verse number 65. The Lord of the heavens and the earth, رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا And whatever is in between them, فَاعْبُدُهُ وَاسْتَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ So worship him and remain diligent upon his worship. So see the binding connection between the first and the second part of the verse. The Lord of the heavens and earth and everything in between. And everything which the word Rabb incorporates of meaning. That he is the creator, the owner, the regulator. And so it follows rationally from that, that he alone should be worshipped and a person should be diligent in the worship of such a Lord. So... These few examples that you've seen are verses which speak of rububiyyah in a very general sense, right? So there are many verses which are like this in the Qur'an. It's a generalized argument. Then there are other verses which then mention specific instances of rububiyyah. And we'll give a number of examples of them, maybe six or seven examples of that. So from those examples is... The statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, إِنَّ رَبَّكُمُ اللَّهُ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامِ ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ مَا مِنْ شَفِيءٍ إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ إِذْنِهِ ذَلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبُّكُمْ فَاعْبُدُهُ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ At the beginning of Surah uh, Yunus, uh, the third verse of Surah Yunus. Here now we start seeing specific aspects of Rububiyyah being mentioned. Indeed, your Lord is the one who created the heavens and the earth. So now he's a mention of the action of creating. Before, it was just mentioned of Rabb in a general sense. Now we're looking at specific instances of Allah's actions. Indeed, your Lord is the one who created the heavens and the earth in six days. Then he ascended above the Arsh. Yudabbirul Amr. So he's the one who regulates the affair, the entire affair of the heavens and the earth. To the end of the ayah. So the end of the ayah says, This is your Lord. This is Allah, your Lord. So worship Him. So see the argument now. The argument now is a specific element of Rububiyyah, which is Allah creating the heavens and the earth in, in, uh, in six days. So that's one example. 
Second example is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, إِنَّ اللَّهَ فَالِكُ الْحَبِّ وَالنَّوَى So here, indeed Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, indeed Allah is, is the uh, splitter of the, like the, the various seed, the seed from which, you know, plants grow and, and, the, uh, and so on and so forth. So here now is a specific action which has been mentioned, a very uh, a specific action from the actions of Rububiyyah. And this also is uh, an appeal to a specific action in order to direct to the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. Another example, in fact this is a whole passage, it starts in Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6, verse 95 onwards, and he mentions many other actions within this passage. At the end of all of that, Allah Azza wa Jal, he says, ذَلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبُّكُمْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّهُ خَالِقُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ فَعْبُدُوهُ this is, your, this is Allah your Lord. There is none which has the right to be worshipped except He, the creator of every single thing. So worship Him. So again, we see the act of creating and specific actions of Allah being used. And then, Therefore worship Him. This is the argument. Another example is mentioning the favours of Allah Azza wa Jal. So this is now uh, in the... Uh, surah Ghafir, the 40th surah, verses number 61-62. Allahu alladhi ja'ala lakumu layla litaskunu feeh wa nahara mubusira inna allaha ladhu fadlin ala nasi walakinna akthara nasi la yashkurun. Indeed, Allah is the one who made for you the night as a place, as, as, a, as a repose in which you rest and the day as something apparent. And indeed, Allah is the one who possesses bounty over people, but most of people are not grateful. So again, we see after this, this is Allah, your Lord, the creator of every single thing. There is none which has right to worship except He. How then are you, how then do you, you know, uh, fabricate and fabricate lies, meaning in respect to Tawheed and, and worshipping other deities? So once again, see the connection. We have a specific element of Rububiyyah, which is Allah making the night to be a means of repose and rest for you, which everyone experiences on the face of this earth. So how then can you not worship this Lord? How can you worship other lords besides Him? So this is another example. Also from the examples, قُلْ مَنْ يَرْزُقُكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ To the end of the passage, Surah Yunus. Surah uh, number 10, verses 31-32. And so at the end of these two verses, Allah Azawajal, He says, فَذَٰلِكُمُ اللَّهُ رَبُّكُمْ الْحَقِّ This is your Lord. This is Allah, your Lord, in truth. فَمَاذَا بَعْدَ الْحَقِّ إِلَّا الضَّلَالِ فَأَنَّا تُسْرَفُونَ So what after truth is there except misguidance? How then are you turned away? So once again, look at the structure of the argument. The argument is, Sustenance that we all receive. We have to have sustenance, otherwise we die. Every creature upon this earth receives sustenance, and this is from the great actions of, uh, from the actions of Allah's rububiyyah. So appealing by that specific example in order to indicate that only Allah should be worshipped alone. Another example is uh, what we see at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ عُبُدُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَأَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ 
So first of all, it's the command to worship, and then it is justified by what follows afterwards. الَّذِي جَعَلَ لَكُمُ الْأَرْضَ فِرَاشًا وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَخْرَجَ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ رِزْقًا لَكُمْ فَلَا تَجْعَلُوا لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ So first is the command to worship Allah alone, as we, as we see at the beginning part, and then it is justified by specific aspects of Allah's rububiyyah. The one who made for you the earth as a spread out repose, and the heaven as a... Um, canopy and who revealed from the heaven water by which he brought out fruit uh, uh, fruits as sustenance for you so do not set up any rivals whilst you are knowing on you know whilst you are knowing so again look at the structure of the argument in this verse it is basically appealing to the fact that everyone knows that they are created and that those before them were created by Allah and that Allah made the earth as an abode, and the sky as a canopy. And that this is enough, just if it, and that he sent out water from which he brings out fruits for you. All of this is enough warrant and justification for you to worship Allah alone, and do not set up rivals for Allah whilst you have knowledge. And Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he has a commentary upon this uh, ayah, and uh, he says that within this word, within this speech, is a definitive evidence for the obligation of worshipping him. And this is because when he is the Lord who nurtures us by way of his favours and his bounties, and he is the Malik, he is the owner of our bodies and our souls, and every atom in fact of the servant is something owned by Allah in reality. And he's the one who nurtured us with his favors and so on and so forth. Then to worship him and to be grateful for him is clearly an obligation upon the individual. That's why he said, "Urubudu Rabbakum at this point. He did not say, "Urubudu ilahakum. He didn't use the word ilah, he used the word Rabb. And that's because the Rabb is a Sayyid, Al Malik, Al Mun'im. Al-Murabbi, Al-Muslih. These are the various meanings of Rabb. Al-Sayyid, the master. Al-Malik, again similar meaning, the owner. Al-Mun'im, the one who bestows favors. Al-Murabbi, the one who nurtures and cultivates. Al-Muslih, the one who corrects and rectifies your affairs. Right. So all of these meanings are present in the word Rabb. And so... <coughs> Therefore, in this ayah, as Ibn al-Qayyim points out, he said, "Urbudu Rabbakum. He used the word Rabb rather than Ilah in order to indicate all of these various meanings as a rational argument, right? As a rational argument that this is, this is your Lord, so therefore you should worship Him alone. And to indicate, as Ibn al-Qayyim continues, that, that there is nothing more obligatory in the intellects and in the in the, the fitra, in the inclinations of people, than worshipping the one who is like this. Right? Meaning the one who is a Sayyid al-Malik, al-Murabbi, al-Muslih, and so on and so forth. Right? This is deeply rooted in reason and deeply rooted in the fitra, that the one who is like this, then 
it is the greatest obligation to actually worship him. So that's uh, the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah. Um, another example would be uh, the statement of Allah Azawajal in which he points to various created signs. So from that is in Surah Al-Baqarah verses 163 so in this lengthy verse, there are many signs of Allah which are mentioned indeed in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the variation in the night and the day, and the ships that sail upon the sea with what benefits people, and what Allah has sent down of from the sky of rain, by which He revives the earth after its death, and the various uh, every type of animal that He has sent forth, and the or the sending of the turning of the winds and the clouds which are, uh, which are suspended between the heaven and the earth in all of this are indeed signs for a people who use reason, who understand. So here again we see these are all specific aspects of the Rububi of Allah which are mentioned and they are preceded by a command or by a, a hint towards Tawheed wa ilahukum ilahun wahid la ilaha illahu ar-rahmanur rahim so this was the verse before the verse before it mentions this statement to the kalima of, 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 of truth of la ilaha illallah and then it justifies it in the verse which comes afterwards by mentioning some of the specific aspects or instances of the rububi of Allah right so this is what we always see uh, in all of these uh, examples. And finally you can finish with another example. We see that this is exactly how the prophets and the messengers also argued with their people. So here we see Ibrahim salam when he's arguing, arguing with his people and look at the rational arguments he's now using, he's appealing to their reason in order to call them to worship Allah alone. So he brings four Aspects of Rububiyyah which occur in pairs, right? Four sets, four, four, four pairs of actions which, which come in uh, pairs of the Rububiyyah of Allah Azza So he says, قَالَ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْبُدُونَ أَنْتُمْ وَآبَاؤُكُمُ الْأَقْدَمُونَ He says, first of all, see, do you see what you worship? You and your forefathers that came before. فَإِنَّهُمْ عَدُوٌ لِي إِلَّا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ for indeed they are enemies to me except the Lord of the worlds. So look at now, look at how first he's establishing that only Allah has the right to be worshipped. And he's declaring his enmity towards those things which are worshipped besides Allah. Then comes the rational justification, the rational argument, the argument of reason, which is trying to appeal, you know, he's trying to appeal to their reason. So he says after this, الَّذِي خَلَقَنِي فَهُوَ يَحْدِينَ The one who created me and he guides me. Right, so here are two, two pairs of attributes of, of the Rububi of Allah 
creating and guiding creating and guiding then he said walladhi huwa yut'imuni wa yasqin and the one who feeds me and the one who gives me to drink right so food and drink are brought to us by allah azawajal by a very complicated system of causes and effects that involve everything the sun uh, the clouds the rain the plants the animals all of the, the the mechanisms so it is allah the one who brings who brings food and drink to us by way of these uh, amazing complicated system of causes and effects so this is his argument right he's first of all made it clear that he's upon tawhid and he does not worship what they worship and he has enmity towards that then he's bringing a rational justification for all of this right so creation and guidance food and drink then he says wa idha maridtu fa huwa yashfin that when i fall sick when i'm ill then he is the one who cures me so again this is now a hint towards the fact that all illness and all cure is by way of the causes and defects that Allah has put in his creation by way of al-qada wa qadar so you know often the body when it falls uh, sick and you start seeing the symptoms those symptoms are actually from the cure itself right so for example when you have a fever that's part and parcel of 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 the cure that that that's taking place this is all built in so uh so so uh, sickness and cure is all by the decree of allah azawajal by way of causes and their effects that is put within the creation and this is something that everybody he knows from experience he falls sick and then he becomes cured either by the body's own internal strengths on many occasions or by way of treatments that he takes and those treatments only work because allah azawajal has you know made them to be causes of the effects of the, of of the cures so all of this returns back to allah azza wa jalla the healer the curer is allah azza wa jalla so now he's appealing by this third this is the third pair now of you know uh, qualities allah causes people to be sick and allah causes them causes them also to be cured then the fourth he says walladhi walladhi yumituni thumma yuhyin the one who causes me or gives me life gives me life and thereafter he sorry the one who causes me to die and then he will cause me to have life so causing death and giving life or giving life and taking life away all of this is something that allah zawajal likewise by way of the asbab wal musabbabat the, the the causes and their effects we see that all of this takes place within the creation so these are now four powerful arguments of reason that is now presented to his people to justify you know what he said earlier that uh, you know he worships that what you worship is false and they are enemies to me and you know there's no one except the lord of the worlds who is worthy of all of this so this now should make it clear to you that we see that in the quran there are two general ways first is referring just to allah's rububiyyah in a general sense as we saw in the first set of verses and then in the second set of verses of which there are many in the quran you will see that allah azza wa jalla is appealing to specific instances and elements of his rububiyyah 
And this is also the methodology of the prophets. So we see on the one hand, Allah appealing to the reason of mankind by way of his direct speech to mankind. And then we see also that it is also what the prophets and messengers, what they did. And these were the actual arguments that they used uh, to their people. So Allah is narrating to us the prophets and how they themselves were appealing uh, uh, you know, to, the, to, 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 to this reason in order to establish the uluhiyya of Allah So, this is the first part, right? Just in a general sense, referring to Allah's rububiyyah in a general sense or specific instances from its many instances. From this point onwards, we can now summarize and say that basically in the Quran, we see that all of this argument from rububiyyah to uluhiyya it falls under basically uh, three categories that we mentioned earlier. The khalq, Allah creating, the mulk, Allah owning, and at tadbir. Right? So we're going to focus upon these three areas now and just give very quickly give some examples of each. So, how does Allah in the Quran appeal to this issue of the creation? Uh, there are many arguments in the Quran. An example, Surah Yasin. The man who came from the out parts of the city, he said, وَمَا لِيَ لَا أَعْبُدُ الَّذِي فَطَرَنِي وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ He said, why should I not worship the one who originated me? So here, he's made a link between Allah originating mankind and worshipping him. Right. So this is now an appeal to the issue of creation. That the one who creates is the one who is the Rabb. Another example uh, is the statement uh, in Surah Al-Kahf, the man, the two men, Do you disbelieve? Are you ungrateful to the one who created you from dust? Then from a nutfa? And then he made you and turned you into, fashioned you into a man? So here now again is the appeal to the creation of, of man as an argument for worshipping him alone. And likewise, لا تسجدوا للشمس ولا للقمر واسجدوا لله الذي خلقهن إن كنتم إياه تعبدون. Do not prostrate to the sun and the moon, but prostrate to Allah who created them. If indeed it is you, if if if, if indeed it is He alone that you worship. Surah Fussilat, forty-one, verse thirty-seven. In relation to the sun and the moon, that they are created, Allah created them. So therefore, He alone is worthy of being worshipped. Likewise, the statement of Musa السلام, to Fir'aun, قَالَ رَبُّنَا الَّذِي أَعْطَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلْقَهُ ثُمَّ هَدَى Say, our Lord is the one who gave everything its creation, and then he gave it its guidance. So from these ayat, you can see that they all appeal to the issue of creation. هُوَ الَّذِي يُصَوِّرُكُمْ فِي الْأَرْحَامِ كَيْفَ يَشَاءُ he is the one who fashioned you in the wombs, however he willed. And أَتَدْعُونَ بَعْلَ وَتَذَرُونَ أَحْسَنَ الْخَالِقِينَ Do you invoke Ba'al? Means like a deity. And yet you leave alone the best of all creators. So all of this is one argument in the Quran. Uh, and you see similar examples in the Sunnah which we'll come to. But Imam al-Shanqiti rahimahullah he says, uh, in, in, in relation to this type of argument, he says, uh, 
that from all of these ayat al-Qur'aniyya uh, which indicate which establish which establish this proof definitive proof for Allah's tawhid which is that it is known from the Qur'an that the clear separating factor between the one who deserves to be worshipped and the one who does not deserve to be worshipped is that one is the creator of others besides him. So the one who is a creator of others besides him, then he is the one who is deserving of being worshipped. And the one who is not able to create anything, then he is makhluq, muhtaj, then he is not worthy of being worshipped. So, Ashakit is making clear the, the argument here for us, that what is a decisive separating factor between a deity in truth and a non-deity is the issue of creation. And we know all of us that all of these deities which are worshipped besides Allah, all of them are created and they have not created anything themselves. And this we will elaborate upon in a bit more detail in a later section, inshallah. Likewise, in the uh, Sunnah, uh, Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, he says, I asked the Prophet, sallallahu which sin is the greatest with Allah? قَالْ أَن تَجْعَلَ, أن تجعل لِلَّهِ لِدَّا وَهُوَ خَلَقَكَ That you make for Allah a rival when He created you. So here is now the argument, Allah created you, and the greatest sin is to make for Him a nid, a rival in His worship. So this now is the argument of Al-Khalq, that Allah is alone in creating and therefore He deserves to be worshipped. The second is Al-Mulk, this is the second of the meanings of Ar-Rububiyyah. And likewise in the Qur'an, we see that Al-Mulk is often tied to Ash-Shafa'ah. The issue of intercession. Because intercession and seeking it from other deities is one of the aspects of shirk. So Allah negates that by establishing that He is the Malik over every single thing. So it's often mentioned in that context. So let's look at a number of uh, examples of this in which we see Allah being singled out with Al-Mulk, Al-Mutlaq, Al-Tam, which is complete dominion, complete uh, ownership. Uh, so he says, Allah, Rabbukum lahul mulk, la ilaha illahu fa'anna tusrafun. Look at the connection between these things now. Surah Zumar, Surah 39, verse number 6. This is Allah, your Lord, lahul mulk. To him belongs the mulk. La ilaha illahu. There is none which deserves to be worshipped except he. How then are you turned away? So look at the argument of reason here now, where Al-Mulk is mentioned. Lahul Mulk, La ilaha illallah, and then mentioned it's connected to his Uluhiyya. Likewise, the statement of Allah Azawajal, Qul man biyadihi malakutu kulli shay. Say to whom belongs the dominion of every single thing? Al-Mu'minun, 23 verse 88. And the response is, Sayakuluna lillah, to Allah. Likewise, the statement of Allah Azawajal, Qul lillahi shafa'atu jami'a, Say to belongs Allah all intercession. To him is the mulk, the dominion of the heavens and the earth. So the connection between Ash-Shafa'a and Allah owning the heavens and the earth. Surah Al-Zumar, Surah 39, verse number 44. And so the general argument is that anything 
which does not own anything, does not possess anything, is not in a position to intercede for anyone. Right? So all of the deities which are worshipped besides Allah, they don't own anything, not even, you know, not even a date or the, or the skin that's on a date. They don't own anything. How then can they be in a position to intercede for you unless Allah allows them to intercede? And so this is rebutted by, by mentioning Allah's complete dominion in the context of all of the uh, in the context of al-shafa'ah so this is al-mulk and again shaykh al-islam ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah uh, there's actually another ayah in the quran which is worthy to be mentioned at this point and this is the statement in surah rum surah 30 verse number 28 which gives an analogy or a parable dharaba lakum mathalan min anfusikum hal lakum mimma malakat aymanukum min shuraka' فِيمَا رَزَقَنَاكُمْ فَأَنْتُمْ فِيهِ سَوَاءٌ تَخَافُونَهُمْ تَخَافُونَهُمْ كَخِيفَتِكُمْ أَنْفُسَكُمْ كَذَلِكَ نُفَصِّلُ نُفَصِّلُ الْآيَاتِ لِقَوْمٍ يَعْقِلُونَ An example is given for, given to you from your own selves. Do you have from those that you own, meaning own of of slaves? Any partners to you in what we have given to you of sustenance, such that you are equal. Meaning, that the slaves that you own, is there anyone amongst these slaves who is a partner to you in whatever you own of sustenance and wealth? Such that you are now equal in the ownership of that wealth. Such that you fear them like you fear yourselves, amongst yourselves. Thus does Allah make clear the signs for a people who understand. Sheikh Salam ibn he elaborated upon this uh, parable and he said that this means that when one of you does not have amongst his slaves one who is a partner to him in whatever he owns, such that he fears him, then how then can you make for Allah a partner from amongst his slaves, right? So if you have slaves and you know that none of them are equal, none of them are partners to you in your wealth, all that wealth belongs only to you, right? And you do not really fear them because they don't have any status or authority or dominion, you know, from what you possess. So if that's the case and you know that from your own experience that your slaves are not equal to you in, 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 in partnership and dominion and so on and so forth and you don't need to fear them either, like you fear other masters, then how then can you make for Allah from those who are His slaves and servants? How can you make for Him those which are equal to Him now, such that they should be worshipped alongside Allah? Right? So this now is another argument and all of it centers around the issue of mulk, of ownership, whether of slaves or of the, the wealth that you possess. Right? This is now a parable. So, this now is a second set of verses in the Qur'an that now appeal to the issue of mulk. And through that, argue for the tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. The third category is at-tadbir, which is the uh, dominion or the, the regulation of Allah's dominion. And this is a vast uh, topic. And this, there are, in fact, there are many, many categories and types of this which come in the Qur'an. For example, Al-Ihya wal-Imata. Al-Ihya wal-Imata is giving life and taking life. So you'll see often in the verses in the Quran the issue of life, death, revival. 
Also, الرزق والمنع which is giving sustenance and withholding sustenance. Right? So, that's another example in the Quran. Likewise, al-khafd wal-raf'a. Allah lowering and humiliating some people and raising other people. This is from Allah's rububiyyah. This is from al-tadbir. Allah regulating His creation, administering His creation. Likewise, al-tahriq wal-taskeen. Making things move or making things still. Likewise, al-jam'a. Bringing things together and separating things like the clouds, for example, the clouds, they come together, they form into a, uh, and things like that. So these are various types that Allah he alludes to in the Quran. And, you know, there are many, many types, but we shall mention just maybe four of them in the Quran and quick examples of each one. So this is to do with the third category of rububiyyah, at-tadbir, Allah regulating whatever is in the heavens and the earth. So from those affairs is Allah giving life and taking life. This is something that we see all the time around us everywhere. The earth being dead and it being revived, people being born, people dying, plants you know, uh, from a seed being watered and springing to life and then they you know, die. This process we see all around us all the time. Everyone witnesses this, experiences this. So Allah he alludes to this uh, phenomena and appeals to our reason and points to his tawheed uh, by way of it. For example, La ilaha illahu yuhyi wa yumit. Notice the connection between La ilaha illallah and yuhyi wa yumit. It's an argument of rububiyyah, of a specific element of rububiyyah for his uluhiyyah. So this is uh, sorry, this is... Um, Surah uh, Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 158. Likewise, you remember the statement of Ibrahim, وَالَّذِي يُمِيتُنِي ثُمَّ يُحْيِينَ That we mentioned earlier, the one who causes me to die and who gives me life. And likewise, the statement of Allah in Surah Al-Shura, Surah 42, verse 9, أَمِتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءَ فَاللَّهُ هُوَ الْوَلِي وَهُوَ يُحْيِي الْمَوْتَى وَهُوَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ have they taken others besides Allah as awliya? Allah is the wali. Allah is the wali. He is the one who gives life to the dead. Again, we see something similar. The argument by way of connecting the issue of life and death, giving life and death to the issue of uh, Allah's uluhiyyah. Second type that comes under this rububiyyah, second category is al-in'am. Al-in'am. The fact that Allah bestows so many favors uh, Upon us. So this is also vast in the Quran. And so from the favors of Allah is giving us Iman, bestowing us with faith and giving us food. So let them worship the Lord of this house who gave them food, who fed them from hunger and who protected them from fear. Right? So this is an appeal to Allah's worship by way of Allah giving food and giving security. security. Also from this is another example of food. Say, other than Allah should I take as a wali, other than the originator of the heavens and the earth should I take as a wali, Whilst he is the one who gives food and he himself is not fed. 
whilst the one he, he is the one who feeds and he himself is not fed. So, and this is in Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6, verse, uh, Surah 6, verse number 14. Another example. يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ أُذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ هَلْ مِنْ خَالِكٍ غَيْرُ اللَّهِ يَرْزُقُكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ O mankind, remember the face of your Lord. Is there a creator besides Allah who provides for you from the heavens and the earth? So you see from all of this in one of the greatest verses, in fact, uh, one of the greatest surahs in the Quran, which is full of all of this, is Surah An-Nahl, the 16th surah. If you want to read the surah, a surah which is full of all of these examples of the Rabubi of Allah Azawajal, and an appeal to Allah's tadbir, Allah regulating and, uh, you know, then read this surah. It is full of the likes uh, of this. So this then is the second aspect of Rububiyyah that Allah appeals to in the Quran. The third aspect is An-Nafa' Wad-Dar. An-Nafa' Wad-Dar. Which is benefit and harm. That Allah Azawajal, He alone is in control of benefit and harm. So, from the arguments uh, of that is again the same verse that we saw before from uh, Ibrahim al-Islam. وَإِذَا مَرِبْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ That when I fall ill, then he is the one who cures me. So, illness and cure, which is from benefit and harm, is from Allah Azawajal. Likewise, وَإِن يَمْسَسْكَ اللَّهُ بِدُرٍ فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّا هُو وَإِن يُرِدْكَ بِخَيْرٍ فَلَا رَادَّ لِفَضْلِهِ يُصِيبُ بِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ وَهُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ If Allah was to withhold any harm, or if, if Allah was to afflict you with harm, none can remove it except He. And if He was to intend some good for you, no one, no one would be able to repel His bounty. He afflicts whomever He wills from His servants, and He is Al-Ghafoor Ar-Rahim. So here, benefit and harm is completely in control of Allah Azza wa Jal. وَإِذَا مَسَّكُمُ الضُّرُّ فِي الْبَحْرِ ظَلَّ مَنْ تَدْعُونَ إِلَّا إِيَّا And when some calamity afflicts you on the ocean, you forget those that you call upon except Allah alone. Right? So again, in times of calamity, these people know that only Allah is the one who controls benefit and harm. Likewise, the mushrikun, we see the messenger of Allah using this appeal to reason with the uh, we see that uh, Hussein al-Khuzai, uh, Hussein al-Khuzai, uh, he was the father of Imran bin Hussein, and as is narrated by Imam Tirmidhi, that uh, the messenger of Allah he said to this uh, person, Ya Hussein, kam ta'bud al-yawm ilahan. How many deities do you worship? So he said, Sab'ah, seven, six upon the earth, and one, one in, the, in, the, in the heaven. So the messenger said, which one of those, in which one of those do you place your hope, your aspiration, and you know, your apprehension, right? your, your hope and your fear? Which one do you put? He said, The one who is in the heaven. And in another version of this narration with Ibn Khuzayma, the narration continues, فَإِذَا أَصَابَكَ مَنْ تَدْعُو that when you are afflicted with heart, with with uh, with uh, with a calamity or a hardship, who do you call upon? He said, When wealth gets destroyed or perishes, your wealth, who do you call upon? The one who's in the heaven. 
So then he said, uh, so this one alone responds to you, yet you associate other partners with him. So now he's an appeal to reason. So this is the one that actually responds to you, right? When your wealth disappears and perishes and when you calamity comes to you, this one that responds to you. And yet you worship others besides him. It's now is an appeal to reason. So this is the third type, al-nafa' wal-dar, that only Allah possesses it, therefore he alone deserves to be worshipped. And the fourth aspect of al-rububiyyah that is worthy of mention, which is also mentioned in the Qur'an, is al-hidayah. That Allah alone is the one who actually guides. He guides and he misguides. And so uh, we see an example of this is Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6, verse 114. وَهُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكِتَابَ مُفَصَّلًا Should I seek a, other than Allah as a hakam, as a, a judge, whereas He is the one who sent down to you a book in detail. Notice the connection, the sending of a book, meaning as guidance, and seeking for other than Allah as a hakam. Right? So the issue of guidance now, sending guidance is connected to His right to be worshipped alone. Another example, Sabbihismi Rabbika Al-A'la, Alladhi Khalaqa Fasawwa, Walladhi Qaddara Fahada. So glorify the name of your Lord, the Most High, the one who created and fashioned, and then who decreed and guided. Notice the issue of guidance connected to glorifying the name of your Lord, the Most High. And likewise, this is Surah Al-A'la, Surah 87, verses 1 to 3. Another example, Surah Al-Baqarah, 2, verse 185. In order that you may glorify Allah for that which you guided you, and in order that you may be grateful. Likewise, the statement of Ibrahim al-Islam, Do you dispute with me concerning Allah, whereas He has guided me? So again, connection between guidance and the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. And likewise, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Balad, Verses 8 to 11. Have we not made for him two eyes and a tongue and two lips? And did we, did we not guide him to the two ways? So this is now a fourth element and a fourth aspect of guidance, of, of issue of Allah's rububiyyah, which indicates his uluhiyyah. Right? So this brings us now to an end of... Uh, the issue of rububiyyah pointing to the uluhiyyah of Allah just to summarize what we've covered so first of all we said that in the Quran Allah appeals to his rububiyyah and that this is done either in a general sense referring just to his rububiyyah or it can refer to specific aspects and elements of his uluh- of his rububiyyah as we saw in six or seven examples then in general we can divide all of these verses in the Qur'an to fall into three categories, which is Al-Khalq, Al-Mulk, and Al-Tadbir. So Al-Khalq, we saw examples of that, that if Allah is the one who created the heavens and the earth and mankind, then He alone is worthy of worship. Al-Mulk, if Allah alone is the owner, 
then no one else has any dominion, no one else has any authority alongside him. So no one can intercede along, you know, without Allah's permission. No one can come and assume this intercession. That's another argument used often to refute the issue of intercession that the mushrikun are attached to. And the third, which is a tadbir, the specific uh, uh, categories that we've seen, giving life, taking life, uh, the favors of Allah Azawajal, and the benefit and harm, and guidance and misguidance. Right? That such a one who is in possession of all of these uh, qualities, then he alone is the one worthy of worship. We come now to the second uh, part. We'll finish uh, very quickly with this, which is now, so this was the argument of Rububiyyah for the Uluhiyyah of Allah Azawajal and how it is structured in the Qur'an. The second part then is how is Allah's perfection, His kamal, how is it alluded to in the Qur'an in order to indicate His worthy of, worthiness of being worshipped. So this obviously is related to Allah's names and attributes. Allah is alone described with Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq, which is absolute perfection. And this is what makes him deserving of worship alone. And that anything which does not reach this level of Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq, absolute perfection, then a person, you know, therefore this, per- this being of this person is not worthy of being worshipped at all. So this is the general argument in Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, did not mention these texts, meaning the texts of the attributes of Allah and the names of Allah. Only just to establish his perfect attributes. Right? Meaning that when we look at these verses that mention these names and attributes of Allah, it's not just to mention his own qualities. There is something above and beyond that as well. Rather, he mentioned them in order to explain that he alone, أَنَّهُ mustahiq لِعِبَادَهِ that he alone is the one worthy worship besides those uh, besides him. So therefore, he established two mighty principles by which the Tawheed of Allah is established. Number one, affirming qualities of perfection for Allah, which is a refutation of the people of Ta'atil. And secondly, establishing that he alone is worthy of being worshipped, which is a refutation of the Mushrikeen. Right? So this is a good benefit. Meaning that in the Qur'an, those verses which speak about Allah's names and His attributes and establish His perfection, are they mentioned only just to mention qualities of perfection? Or is there something above and beyond that as well? Is there something more than that as well? And the answer is that there are actually two things that are being established by all the verses that mention His perfect, beautiful names and perfect attributes. Number one, it is to in fact establish these as qualities of perfection for himself. And this is the refutation of the people of Ta'atil who deny his names and attributes. And then the consequence of that is that he alone is worthy of being worshipped. Because the one who was Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq, he alone is the one worthy of being worshipped. And this now is a refutation of the people of Shirk, those who worship others besides him. So this is a really great fa'idah from Shaykh al-Islam uh, Ibn Taymiyyah in relation to those types of verses. Now as for specific examples, let's look at specific examples so we can be clear in our minds how the argument basically uh, runs. So example number one is what has come in the greatest ayah in the Qur'an, Ayatul Kursi. 
So the beginning of this ayah, Allah Zawajal, He said, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. So notice the argument now. Allah, there is none which has right to be worshipped except He. And then al-hayy al-qayyum, two of the greatest names of Allah Zawajal. And these two mighty names, they bring two affairs, two attributes. Allah's life, which is perfect, and Allah's al-qayyumiyyah, which is by Him, everything besides Him stands and persists. It is only by Allah that the whole creation exists and persists. So the first, Allah's perfect life, is His own perfection. And then al-qayyumiyyah, is an indication of all of his actions that he performs in order to maintain the creation. So basically these two names incorporate all of the other names of Allah Azawajal. Al-Hay Al-Qayyum. This is why it is the greatest ayah in the Quran. Uh, it mentions Allah's uluhiyyah and mentions all of his names and his attributes. A tremendous uh, ayah in the book of Allah Azawajal. So we see here, this is a clear example of Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq Absolute perfection belonging to Allah Because there is no one who has perfect life as does Allah And there is no one who is self-sustaining as is Allah Right? There is nothing like, like Allah in this respect Because everything dies and perishes as we see And nothing exists on its own Right? We need food, we need drink, we need air, we need water, we need so on and so forth Right? So only Allah is Al-Qayyum, meaning that he is self, you know, he self-exists and self-sustains and he sustains everything else, right? He's not in need of anything. So this now is, is clear proof for Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq, the perfection in Allah. And therefore this now is a rational argument as to why he alone should be worshipped, right? So that's one example of this. Second example, also connected to the issue of life again, uh, Surat Ghafir, Surah 40, verse 65. See the connection again? He is the ever living. None has the right to be worshipped except He. So therefore, call upon Him alone. Once again, see the connection. The ever living, perfect in life. None has the right to be worshipped except He. Mention of Tawheed. So one follows on from the other. And then the command, So therefore, worship him alone, making the deen purely and sincerely for him alone. A third example, which is Surat, uh, which is uh, the, uh, the Surah, which is equal a third of the Quran, Surat Al-Ikhlas, a tremendous and mighty Surah. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ we think about this surah, it mentions from two angles the complete perfection of Allah Azza wa First of all, from the angle, the name Ahad, Al-Ahad, that he is Al-Ahad, that he is the one. So he is unique in Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq. And secondly, As-Samad, which means that he is the one to whom all other creatures depend upon. All of their needs go back to Allah Azawajal, who is As-Samad, right? So these two attributes mentioned here, Ahad, uh, these two names, Ahad and As-Samad, they are attributes of absolute uh, 
names of absolute perfection. At the end of this surah, وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ And there's none which is equal to him. Right? So this is an argument from Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq to worship Allah alone. Likewise, another example of this is the verse that we mentioned before. رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فَاعْبُدْهُ وَاسْتَبِرْ لِعِبَادَتِهِ هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّةِ The Lord of the heavens and the earth and what is in between, so therefore worship him alone and be diligent in his worship. هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ سَمِيَّةِ Do you know of a namesake for him? Do you know of one who deserves to be named as Allah is named with names and attributes? And the answer is no. Do you know of another who deserves to be named Al-Hay, Al-Qayyum, Al-Khaliq, Al-Mudabbi? Of course we don't. There is no one to which these names can be truthfully given. We would know it would be a lie, it would be false. So, هَلْ تَعْلَمُ لَهُ So because no one is worthy of having these names, and these are names of perfection, therefore only Allah is worthy of being worshipped. So in this one ayah, you can see there's, there's both arguments. There's the argument of Rububiyyah and the argument of Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq, perfect perfection. Because at the beginning it said, Rabbu samawati wal ard wa baynahuma. This is now Rububiyyah. At the end he said, Hal ta'lamu lahu samiyya. And in the middle he said, Fa'abuduhu wastabir li'ibadatih. Worship him alone and be diligent in his worship. That's another example, Surah Maryam, verse number 65. And there are, in fact, there are many, many examples. Another example is those verses in which Allah mentions specific names. Allahu la ilaha illahu lahul asma'ul husna. This is another category. A mention of the general names of Allah. Wa ilahukum ilahu wahid la ilaha illahu ar-Rahmanur Rahim. So mention of the kalima la ilaha illallah along with some of the names of Allah And this is frequent in the Qur'an. Uh, another example is when Allah he frees himself from the shirk that people commit. And in the same place he will mention many names. So for example, huwa Allahu ladhi la ilaha illahu Al-Malik Al-Qudus Al-Salam, Al-Mu'min Al-Muhimin Al-Aziz Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Amma Yushrikun. He's Allah, the one besides whom there is none worthy worship, Al-Malik Al-Qudus Al-Salam, Al-Mu'min Al-Muhimin Al-Aziz Al-Jabbar, Al-Mutakabbir, Subhanallah, Amma Yushrikun. And at the end he says, free is Allah, glorified is Allah from that which they set up as partners to him. Um... So this is another type in the Qur'an which establishes that to only to Allah belong these names, which are names of perfection. Therefore, He alone should be worshipped. And Allah frees Himself and glorifies Himself above and over from that which the people associate with Him in worship. And one more example uh, is another example would be the argument that when Suleiman sent the hudhud to Saba, and on the way back, when he informed uh, Suleiman, uh, this this bird it expressed an argument in relation to those people. So it came back and he said, and he described to Suleiman that there's a people there that they have a woman who is a leader over them, and she's been given everything. She has this mighty throne, and that they worship the sun, and that Shaitan has made their actions to be alluring to to, to them. And so they're not guided. And then it said, 
So he now he's expressing an argument against the shirk that they were falling into. That why why do they not prostrate to Allah, the one who brings out what is hidden, the hidden thing in the heavens and the earth, and who knows what is what you conceal and what you reveal. Allah La Allahu la ilaha illahu Rabbul Arshil Adim. Allah, there is none which has to worship except He, the Lord of the Mighty Throne. So he compared the throne to the throne of, you know, of of the of the of the Queen of Saba. So basically, an argument for the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. So this again is an appeal to some of Allah's names, some of Allah's attributes, and to show that to Him alone belongs perfect. Uh, absolute perfection and therefore he alone is worthy of being worshipped so this brings us to an end to this second issue of Al-Kamal Al-Mutlaq uh, to be honest there's actually one more lesson left because there's uh, some material left that we haven't uh, gone through uh, but this should be enough to give us the general understanding or the general approach in the Quran of using the Rububi of Allah either in a general sense or in a specific sense, the specific instances of the Rububi of Allah And that in general, we see that this falls into a number of categories, Al-Khalq, Wal-Mulk, and At-Tadbir. And within At-Tadbir, there are numerous categories, life and death, bestowing favors, benefit and harm, guidance and misguidance, and so on and so forth. And this is frequent in the Quran. And secondly, by way of the perfection of Allah in His names and His attributes, and this also we see clearly in the Quran, uh, where Allah mentions either some of his names or his attributes or his actions and then uh, connected to that is the issue of his tawheed and this is presented as an argument that appeals to the people's reason the reason of the people so all of this uh, should be very apparent and very clear uh, in the Quran the argument of the Quran is very simple very direct very straightforward and very uh, concise and very powerful because it appeals to things that no human can actually actually deny right these are not philosophical arguments these are not long-winded arguments these are not obscure detailed arguments right the quran has come with bayinat and barahin when ayat which are clear apparent signs that no one can deny right no one can deny that he came to be after not not being no one can deny the alternation of the night and the day. No one can deny all of the favors that every person experiences on a daily basis. The most apparent favors, the food, the drink, and so on and so forth. These are apparent favors that every single creature, every single human, he knows he cannot deny them. And so it is also evident that there is a rub behind all of this. So the issue of Tawheed is from the most apparent and most clearest of affairs. Right, so so uh, when we look at these arguments of the Quran, the arguments to reason, we see that they are the clearest and most concise and most powerful types of uh, arguments over and above all the other types of arguments. Which is why this material we should study this material and gain a deep understanding of Tawheed and how to argue upon the way of the messengers of Allah because all of that guidance is within the book of Allah and we are not in need of 
the philosophy and the kalam and the rhetoric of, of others uh, which are really uh, feeble, weak uh, arguments uh, that lead to that lead to problems and they lead to a weakening of the truth itself when you use those other weak types of uh, uh, arguments. So this really brings us to an end uh, to today's lesson. As I said, there is actually one more lesson, uh, and this this now. So we've seen how Allah establishes His right to be worshipped by these two means: establishing His rububiyyah and establishing His perfection. That's what we've covered in this lesson. The part that is remaining now is how does Allah invalidate the worship of others besides Him? Right? So here it's affirming that He alone has right to be worshipped by argument to His rububiyyah, by argument to His perfection. The bit that's left is how does Allah falsify and invalidate the worship of others besides Him? And that is by invalidating the rububiyyah of anything besides Him and invalidating that anything besides Him has al-kamal al-mutlaq. And so in the Quran, we see there are arguments and verses which fall under these, these two categories as well. So for the completion of the topic, we'll leave that as part seven, inshallah ta'ala. And we can do that you know, whenever the next time is uh, my slot to come next time, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll conclude that uh, in the next lesson. And so with that, we conclude today's, uh, today's lesson. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een.